Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm Charles Maxwood, and I'm going to be hosting solo today. We had an episode set up with panelists, but it's kind of in the middle of conference season, so I know that a few folks either couldn't make it or weren't sure if they would make it. And um, we also changed the time, so <laughs> I've been rejiggering things just to make things a little easier for myself so that I can get four shows in on Wednesdays instead of three, and then I'm moving to the other two shows that I record at a regular time to Tuesday morning. They run on Tuesday during the day, and that way I can free up that afternoon and have a little bit more time to make things awesome for you folks. So anyway, th there's a little bit of stuff going on, but yeah, essentially I'm here by myself. Hey folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. And what I'm going to talk about is something that came up on the Adventures in Angular podcast. And uh, Joe and Alyssa were on that show with me. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But we essentially talked about front-end devs versus front-end devs. And the idea was that there are front-end devs that are CSS, general look and feel, HTML programmers, and there are front-end devs that are JavaScript developers or framework developers. And we talked about the difference there. But uh, one of the things that was brought up, and, and this, I kind of got a little bit sassy. I don't know what the word is. But anyway, I, I really got excited about some of it. Not excited like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like, like people are dumb, <laughs> excited. And, and I really expressed some opinions, but I didn't feel like I expressed them well. And so what I'm going to talk about today is really kind of the problems with the hiring process that we go through with developers. Because it's a soapbox that I get on periodically. It drives me absolutely nuts. It's why I started the DevRev podcast, or at least one of the reasons, is because I talk to developers and I talk to development managers and neither of them are doing themselves any favors while they're either looking for jobs or hiring people. And I feel like addressing the problem from either end is not helpful to the other end. I mean, it's helpful to understand, but it's not like the, the actionable steps for the hiring managers is not helpful advice for the people who are trying to get hired. So I, I'm specifically going to be talking about how to hire quality developers. And the reason that I'm saying how to hire quality developers, the thing I always hear, and I'll probably title the show this, is how to hire senior developers. Because I hear this all the time. I actually have companies that email me or get on a call with me and they're like, we're trying to find a senior developer to help us out. You know, we've got a great team and, you know, they're, they're selling me on this job, right? And they're, there's, do you know anybody? And, and, you know, I never know who's actually looking for a job. And so I never actually refer anybody. That and if I don't know you well, I'm not going to refer my friends to you, right? If somebody came to me and said, I'm looking for a job within a few days of me talking to one of these companies, I might tell them that I know that that company is looking, but that's a different thing. 
but they come to me and they're like, we're trying to hire senior developers and we've listed the job everywhere and we've talked to everybody we know and we can't find anybody. And the reality is, is there are a few things that come into play with this that really kind of mess up your ability to find the kind of developer you want. And so I'm going to hit a few of these points. This may be a little bit haphazard because I really didn't like outline this before I started because I thought I'd have other panelists here and we'd discuss what we were going to talk about. But this is something that I've kind of had percolating for a while. I'm probably going to wind up doing a couple of DevRev episodes on it and just riff on each of these points. But I really want to dive into this. So the first point that I really want to get hit, and this is one of the big ones for me, one of the things just really uh, grinds my gears, I guess, is that most of these folks, when I talk to them and they're saying, we want a senior developer, I, I ask them, what do, you, what do you mean by a senior developer? I mean, are you talking you know, five years experience, 10 years experience, has a CS degree, has built a certain number of apps, has built a certain complexity of app? They almost always don't know, right? They have no idea. And to be honest, it's really hard to gauge what kind of experience is going to be valuable to you other than they've done something like what we do, right? And so when you're looking at developers and you're trying to decide if you're going to hire a developer, if you're trying to decide how to get the right person to opt into your process in the first place, you have to know what you want. And it's not just they've got so much experience. Because I've seen people who have basically hopped from startup to startup to startup to startup to startup. And if you threw them into the deep end on a medium complexity application that's been being built for two or three years, they'd get lost. Okay. And it's not because they're a bad developer. It's just that their experience has always been building something from scratch and then moving on. And so, you know, 10 years experience doesn't mean anything. Or I've also seen people that they basically got into programming because it was lucrative. They learned enough to not get fired. And they essentially go to work every day and then go home and don't think about code again until they go back to work the next day. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But they're looking for a different lifestyle. And if you want somebody who's going to come and kind of be all in and take the lead on some of the stuff, which is usually why people are saying they want a senior developer, then again, 10 years experience is going to mean what you want it to mean. And so you need to be more specific about what you want them to do. Okay. This is the thing that I, I just, I hit these people over the head with over and over. What do you want them to do? What do you want them to do? What do you want them to accomplish? What outcomes are important to you, right? Is it a certain number of stories that are being written? Is it that you make so much progress that allows you to bring in another so much money in business? I mean, what are these tangible outcomes that you're really looking at? You know, is it, well, the CEO's getting on my back because we're falling behind? Okay. So essentially, then, yeah, you need somebody who can help you pick up the velocity. And so you want to bring somebody on board who can do that. But then you can start thinking about, okay, well, what if we got a junior person in to come and take some of the load that's kind of the menial or menial is a bad word for it, but some of the more routine things that are exciting for newer people because it helps them learn and level up at that level and is boring for people who have been doing it forever? Or do you need somebody who can come in and actually teach the team how to move faster, right? I mean, these are different things. And so you've got to figure out where that hole is in your team, right? We know the direction we want to go. We just need more hands. Okay, well, then it doesn't matter how experienced per se the person you bring in is as long as they can take up some of the load, right? And so they can take up some of the intermediate level load. Those people are way easier to find. Or you can bring in a really experienced person and maybe they get ramped up a little more quickly and that's important to you. But you've got to figure that stuff out, right? 
And then you can start looking at their technical experience, right? So if you need somebody who can help you ramp up quickly or who can come on board quickly, then you're probably looking for somebody that's fairly familiar with the stack you're using. And so if you're using Rails and React or Django and React or .NET and React or just React, then you can, or sorry, I forgot I was on the View podcast. But you get the idea, right? So somebody that just does View, um, you know, maybe you're using Firebase or you're using some other system or you're doing serverless, right? You can bring people in who have that kind of experience and you can prioritize that. And it's not because you couldn't use somebody with a lot of experience in React or Angular who could figure View out relatively quickly. It's just that somebody who's already doing View has one less hurdle to get to before they're being productive. So you figure that stuff out, right? And then if you get the golden prospect that comes in that has a ton of React experience, doesn't know Vue, but you're reasonably certain you can, they're going to get up to speed fast enough, then you hire them anyway, right? You make longer-term play, and you just kind of deal with the extra week it's going to take them to kind of come up to speed on how you do Vue. But, I mean, if you don't know what you want, who knows what you're going to get? And you really can't screen people for it. So then what happens is a lot of times these hiring managers, and I said idiots in, in, in the Adventures in Angular because I was really fired up. And the reason is, is because what managers do when they actually get people into the funnel, you know, where they're interviewing them and things like that, doesn't make sense either. But a lot of that stems from not knowing what they want. And so it seems insane to me that you're saying, we're going to invest $150,000 into somebody's salary and benefits, and we don't know what we want them to do. It just, it seems nuts to me. And then when you finally bring them in, you don't actually ask them any relevant questions that are going to show you that they know what to do. And so, you know, sometimes I've, I've had them come to me and say, well, we get people in for the interview. And then when we give them an offer, they're gone. Or we get people in for the interview and they flunk the interviews. And we're pretty sure that they're qualified people, but they flunk the interview. Well, maybe there's something wrong with your interview. And this is another thing that, that I really just want to hit is that, if you know what you want, then you know what to ask in the interview, okay? I see a lot of companies, and essentially they make somebody sit down and write FizzBuzz or Tic-Tac-Toe Solver. I had somebody email that to me when I was a contractor. You know, we'll build this Tic-Tac-Toe app because I was going to be doing Rails, right? And you build the Tic-Tac-Toe bot in Ruby. It doesn't show you that I know Rails. It doesn't show you anything. It shows you that I can code. But if my experience is primarily on the front end, or my experience is almost completely in Rails and I don't understand some of the Ruby fundamentals, but I can, you know, I can crank code in Rails like nobody's business, you're asking me the wrong questions because I'm almost never going to have to write the procedural kind of code that runs a, a tic-tac-toe engine. And incidentally, I wrote a tic-tac-toe engine and then I wrote the, the little bot that you, know, you couldn't beat because there, there are only like five or six conditions that you have to uh, account for in order to always win or tie at tic-tac-toe. But yeah, you know, it, it's not relevant. You know, you ask them questions about big O or some of these other computer science themes. You know, you ask them about linked lists and stuff like that, which I've only ever seen at really low-level stuff, right? When you're really hitting performance and you're doing some really interesting like search stuff and things like that. But a lot of the apps that I've worked on and that I see other people work on, they don't have data sets that even merit you talking about big O, right? The data sets are hundreds of thousands of records, maybe. And most database engines will grind through that in a reasonable amount of time. And you'll get a response back in a reasonable amount of time. And if not, then you can still play a whole bunch of games loading part of the data in at a time until you get there. And so Big O doesn't become an issue 
until you start getting into the millions of records. And with the types of parallelism and things like that that we're getting to these days, even that may not be an issue, right? We may start talking about billions or trillions of records before um, Big O really comes into play. And Big O is essentially an idea around the efficiency of a system based on how many inputs you put through it or how, how many, you know, in this case, it'd be rows of data, uh, database rows you put through it, right? But a lot of that got, stuff gets optimized anyway. And so you ask them all these deep computer science questions that they're never going to have to consider for your application. And then what happens is, is when they fail it, then you don't hire them and you've missed out on somebody who could actually solve your problems, right? They could do the things that we just talked about a minute ago that you want them to do, right? They can get you the outcome you want, but because they didn't know big O or because they didn't understand what a linked list was or because they didn't understand some kind of deep algorithmic thing that a master's degree student in computer science would understand, they don't get the job. And I'm sorry, but that's just insane. You know, your job is to get an outcome for your business, for your boss. And if you're not doing that, I mean, I don't care if they qualify on the computer science questions. I care that they can do the job. When I hire people here for the show notes editing and the podcast editing, I mean, there are two things that I look for. One is essentially a cultural fit, right? And I'm not, I'm not looking for like a specific kind of person. I just want somebody who's going to come in here and participate as part of the team and not be a problem for anybody else, right? I mean, that, that's pretty much it. So I'll talk to them and I'll get to know them. If I like working with them and I think my team will like working with them, then I'll hire them. And then the other thing that I look for is, can they get the outcome? That's one of the corporate values for devchat.tv is results driven. And I'm starting to try and push that into the podcasts where we're actually getting results for you. But anyway, in the meantime, right now, we're focusing on results for us, right? The results that we're after. So the result of getting the podcast out on time, making sure that the podcast is edited well, that sounds good, that it's on point, that you know all of the stupid stuff that gets left into the episodes doesn't get left in anymore. And so I care about those results, you know, that the show notes are, are useful, things like that. And so when we're diving into hiring, I'll talk to them. I'll get to know them. Of course, now Michelle does a lot of that with the production team. And then she or I will send them uh, basically a sample and say, can you build this? You know, well, it's not code. So it's, can you do these show notes, right? And so we'll give them an audio file and they'll write show notes for us and we'll pay them for them. And then if the show notes were up to snuff, then we'll keep paying them to do show notes. And same thing with the audio editors. We'll bring them on board. We'll, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. That's the whole point is that, you know, I want to see what the results are. And if I don't get the result I want, they're out. And it's, it's not personal and it's not me being a jerk. In fact, it's my fault because I hired them and they couldn't deliver. And I usually apologize to them and do what I can to help them find another position because I screwed up. But it's that kind of thing is that, you know, you're looking for somebody who can do those things, who can get you to those places. So I guess the next thing that you're looking for then is how do I evaluate my team and figure out what the problems are, you know, or figure out what hole I need to fill, right? So do I need somebody who's just going to chug out code or is there some other missing link in what we're doing, right? Do we need somebody who can automate our deployments? Do we need somebody who can set up uh, CI, continuous integration? Is, do we need somebody who understands uh, Webpack? Do we need somebody who can take the lead and help us figure out our development process? You know, and so you can kind of figure that out and then you can build that in to your job listing. And so then the job listing isn't, we're a great company that builds widgets for dental offices and 
We strive to make a difference in blah, 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 blah. We want people that can do React and Rails and Postgres, right? I mean, that's how, these, that's how the job listings read. But instead, you can say, look, we are a team that operates in this way. And we love what we do. And we love how we do it. We're looking for somebody who can help us grow in these ways and that have these skills. And then you could list the benefits, right? Or whatever, the salary, if you're putting that into the job listing or whatever. But then people can look at that and they can say, oh, I did that at my last job. That's how I got my last full-time development job, which was like eight years ago. But it wasn't because I had awesome coding chops. In fact, after my boss at the time hired me, he said, I almost didn't hire you because you only had two years of development experience. But I had been the team lead at the last job that I had and I had personally set up our continuous integration machine, our staging machine, all of our testing stuff. I had set it all up and they needed it and they knew they needed it. And so when I came in and I demonstrated I have expertise in Rails and they needed somebody to write Rails and that I had done all of those things, all of a sudden I was way more interesting to them, right? Now I wasn't automating the deployments like I did at the other place. I did automate the deployments to staging you know, at this last place that I worked. But yeah, I set up the continuous integration machine. I had enough operational chops to set up a, an internal Git server. I helped them manage a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, that was internal to the team. And that's why I got that job. And so otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been able to even get in for the interview. But those kinds of things, you put that in there and then somebody goes, oh, I'm going to opt in. And then it turns out that they're actually exactly what you're looking for. It just makes a ton of sense. So know what you're looking for, put it in the job listing, and then ask relevant questions to it in the job interview. And then make sure that they're going to fit in with your company or your team, right? That they're not going to be a problem because some people legitimately are jerks. Most people are good people. And so, you know, you're, you're probably not going to have a problem with them. They may not be the best, 100% best fit for you. And you probably want to look for people that are a really good fit. But if you didn't screen them out, you're probably not going to pay for it, right? You're, it's not going to hurt you badly. But, you know, do screen out the jerks. Screen out the people that you absolutely can't work with because some of them are going to show up. You're going to have to make that call. But then on the flip side, make sure that they're competent at the things you need them to be competent at and then bring them in and put them to work. And once you have all of that together, then you can start really kind of shepherding people through and getting them to the point where you can actually hire the kind of quality developers that you're thinking you want. And then what happens is I see a lot of people that get into a job and they figure out it's not what they thought. And so you really have to clearly communicate that while you're bringing people in. Otherwise, they're going to leave. And what you really want is you want the people who are the best fit for your team to stay and then to bring their friends who are also good fits for your team, right? Oh, I worked with this guy over at blah, 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 XYZ company. And he was terrific. And he's an expert in these things. He's really good at those. And it seems like we could use a little help in that area. Do you want me to see if he's looking for a job? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. You want him or her to stay. You want them to be happy at where you're at. So the other thing you need to do is make sure that your onboarding is on point, right? So that it's not a hassle to get in and get going. And almost every team I joined, be it as a contractor or as a full-time employee, if there was code that had already been written, it was, it was a week at least just to get it running, 
on my machine. I, I'm sorry, that that's just not right. That's ridiculous. Then what you want is you want a written out process for install these things, run these commands, that gets your system running. You know, automate some of it, put it in Docker, figure it out. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. The other thing is, is if you create the kind of environment that the kind of developer you want to be in wants to be in, then when they're interviewing you in the interview and they say, hey, you know, I'm kind of interested in these technologies or especially at the senior level, they're looking for, you know, opportunities to offer a number of different fulfillment factors for them because they can. And so, you know, they'll ask you about salary and benefits and things like that. But then it's, hey, you know, do you pay for people to go to conferences or maybe they are speakers at conferences. I know a number of top-notch people who have left their jobs because their employer wouldn't help them go and do speaking at conferences. And the problem was, was that was a big part of who they were and where they wanted to go was to be involved in the community. And so since those employers were basically cutting them off at the knees on something that was important to them, they left. And so, you know, you have to decide, hey, do we want some of these I hate the term thought leaders, but some of these people who are out there leading the charge on where the community's headed and then can come in and be an expert for us. And that's usually a big win for most companies, but you have to be flexible. And if you can talk to them and say, yeah, we're flexible on that, you know, come work for us and we'll, we'll make it, you know, we'll make it worth your while. We'll make sure that you can get out to the conferences. We'll at least give you the time off, right? Even if we're not paying travel or anything like that, then you can work that out so that they get what they want. Others are looking for just opportunities to grow and learn. And so it's, hey, you know, we have a company-wide Pluralsight account, or we bring speakers in every month or two and have them teach us stuff. Or, and so you start sharing the opportunities that they have to grow within your organization. We're looking at incorporating artificial intelligence or machine learning into our, into our system. You know, maybe something that, that senior folks are interested in. But if you're telling them they're just going to come in and write code the same they do at their other job, you know, unless you give them a massive raise or something like that, some major reason to come, they're not going to come. And so you, you have to make sure that the, the job lines up with what they want. And that means that you're probably going to have to do a little bit of extra work to make sure that you're doing those kinds of things. And once you have all of that together, then you can start to bring people in. Now, one last rant that I have, and I've kind of gone off on it already with the what does senior developer mean to you? And that is, is that I've seen a number of companies actually bring people in who are fairly new. And those people came in, they figured stuff out, and they basically wound up running the project after a year or two, even though they were new. And so don't rule out the new people. I mean, yeah, you have to do a little bit more homework to make sure that they're capable of actually growing into the role that you want them to fill. And you're probably going to want somebody that is senior on the team to help them along because I'll, I'll tell you, watching a six-hour video course or having somebody sit by me for an hour, the outcome's the same, right? 
eventually I'll fiddle with it and I'll figure it out. But if I have somebody sitting next to me, you know, some guy or some girl sitting next to me and I'm, I'm looking at him going, okay, I'm stuck again. What do I do? I learn it way faster and I, I get a whole lot further along in the technology that way. And so be willing to mentor some newer folks that demonstrate a certain aptitude for learning and see if you can bring them up. And a few guidelines that I give for this, because I've had companies essentially say, well, the problem is, is that we've hired boot camp grads in the past and they haven't worked out. And the reason is, is that their screening process isn't good enough. The other thing is, is not all boot camp grads are made the same, right? And so what you're looking for is you're looking for the person who went to the boot camp, spent 12 hours in the class and the labs and everything else, and then went home and spent another four hours working on code. And you can usually see that in their side projects on their GitHub account or their open source contributions. You can see it in some of the online communities that they participate in. They're going to be going to the users groups, right? So there are certain things that are going to light up that you can tell, okay, this person's actually engaged. And if they're not, then you've got to wait for them to go and make their chops somewhere else, right? So they'll go work for your competitor or go work for another company. And after they've been there for a year or two and demonstrated that they're at least not getting fired for not being able to code, then you can start talking to them about what they did at the other company. And you can use that as kind of the proof that they're, you know, that they're capable at least. But if they're out there and they're contributing to the community big time, I mean, that's, that's a major thing. And those people, you want to pick them up and you want to keep them happy. And that's the other thing is I've talked to a few companies that essentially they're, I'm like, well, you could hire somebody that's not a senior, right? You hire an intermediate or a junior. And they tell me, well, we've hired those people. And then after a year or a year and a half, they leave. And I always look at them and say, well, why did they leave? And they said, well, they left because they could make more money somewhere else. And the obvious answer to me is, why didn't you give them a raise? Well, blah, 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 right? The thing that that makes me crazy about that is that none of these companies actually take responsibility for it. They just give me a bunch of excuses about why they couldn't give them a raise. And I'm like, well, if you wanted them to stay, then you had to give them a raise. Well, we don't match, you know, competitive offers and things like that. And then to a certain degree, I understand that, right? You don't want somebody coming in with a competitive offer every time that they want to raise, right? Because once they have an offer from another company, that they've gone out and looked for on their own, they're halfway out the door. And you, you don't want them thinking, you know, the whole time that they stick around for the next six months, I could get more somewhere else. So what you do is you talk to them and every six months to a year, at least for the first few years, you talk to them, you go see what the market is offering for them, you know, at their level, and then you give them a freaking raise, Right? I mean, most people who are new that I talked to at the beginning of their career, the main reason they leave that job, unless it's just a toxic environment, the main reason they leave that job is because they can go get a big raise somewhere else, right? My first programming job, I was making, I think, what was it? So I graduated and I ran a tech support department. I was making $40,000 a year there when I graduated from college. And then I got hired at another place and they, they offered me sixty. And I, it was a consulting company. So I, I was making, I, I got a raise just leaving that job. And to be honest, they, they had been acquired and they were screwing around with what they were paying people. And it wasn't fun working there anymore. And I won't go into all of that, but yeah, so I, I you know, $60,000. That job laid me off. I went and got another job. They paid me pretty much the same, $60,000. And 
after about a year, I couldn't take the CEO there anymore. <laughs> I mean, nice guy. And if you're, if you're in the in crowd, he was cool to be around. And if you weren't, then he was kind of a butt. But anyway, so I wound up leaving there and the place I went to gave me a raise, 80 grand, right? Then I left and went out on my own and made more. And so, you know, did consulting for six years. And that, that's just the thing is people within the first few years, they can go make those strides because they're, you know, after one year, they're a ton more capable than they were when they started. And after two years, they're a ton more capable than they were at one year. And, you know, once you get to three or four years in the industry, you know, that, that learning curve, you know, it kind of goes up. And unless they specialize and continue to make their value continue to climb, you know, they don't merit as much of a raise after a while, right? So you'll see them go like, like I did 40, 60, 80, you know, maybe 100,000 a year. And then they're kind of going to go, you know, 110, 115, 120, 130, you know, and they're going to kind of jump up by not as much because the marginal value of their added knowledge isn't as high, right? Because at that point, you know, 75% of the application is boilerplate or at least stuff that lower level people can do. And so why wouldn't the company pay somebody less to do that stuff? But at the beginning, you, you have to make sure you're giving them raises. And the other thing is, is that most people, if you give them enough of a raise, they won't even look, right? They won't even look and see, oh, they gave me a raise to $55,000 a year and I could have made 60 by jumping. And even if they did, that five grand a year may not be worth it to them to make the change because a lot of people don't like to change, right? And so until that gap gets wide enough, they probably will stick around. And then you don't have all of that institutional knowledge walking out the door and you can teach them how you do things. And since that's the only way that they've known to do things, or, you know, maybe they've only got brain damage from one job instead of five jobs, then they can come in and they can just do things your way. They can just adapt to it. And so hiring somebody that's not a quote unquote senior may work out for you really well, especially if you have somebody that's willing to mentor them and kind of bring them along. And what that can look like is they can just, you know, pair program with them once a week or something, you know, for an hour or two or three and work on something that's a little more advanced. That levels up your quote unquote junior developer or mid-level developer and gives your senior developer a chance to kind of refresh the stuff that, you know, they're at. But then that mid-level developer is more capable and better understands your system so that they can continue to work on your system. And so there's the, it's kind of a win-win-win when you do that, because you're not paying them as much, you know, if, if that's a concern, they're getting a bunch of work done and they're leveling up and they're becoming more and more of an expert in your system. And so they become more valuable to you that way in ways that they're not valuable to anybody else. And then if you think about what it costs you for them to leave and to replace them, I mean, that's ridiculous because you've got to bring somebody in and you've got to pay them, you know, a minimum of a week or two or three before they're even contributing anything to your application. And so, you know, you figure a month's worth of salary and benefits. And if they're making, you know, let's just make the math easy, $120,000 a year in both salary and benefits, you know, so total cost of the company. I mean, that's $10,000 right there that you're paying somebody to just sit there and learn it. But then the rest of the team has to be there to help them figure the stuff out. And so it's taking that effort off of all of, you know, and then you have to pay a recruiter or pay your hiring manager their time to go hire somebody instead of being able to just keep the person you've got. I mean, it's easily worth paying them an extra 10 grand a year, 15 grand a year to get them to stay because 
they're more valuable to you because they understand your system and can make the kinds of contributions you want to make. So yeah, overall, that's the other thing is just, you know, you got to do what it takes. And if you have the perspective that it's going to save you $10,000 to make them happy, or you pay them $5,000 more than market, and you're saving yourself $5,000 that you would have to spend, you know, to bring somebody else on online. I mean, that's a net $5,000 win. Now it's not $5,000 that you made extra, but it's $5,000 you wouldn't have had to spend that year to bring somebody on board. And so I, I, I can't encourage you enough as hiring managers and people out there to just make sure that you've, you've got your onboarding process in place. You've got ways to keep these people happy. You're making sure you're paying them what the market bears. And that way you can keep them and you can keep them for as long as they want to stay there. And then if they decide for whatever reason, I need a change of scenery or something, there's not a whole lot you can do there. But at least you've done everything you can to keep them there and keep them happy. And every place that I have stayed where I felt like they really took care of me, and even some of the places I didn't, when I left, I offered to contract with them for a month to help get my replacement up to speed. And I essentially offered to contract with them for whatever my salary was in hourly terms. You just take your salary and divide by 2000 and that's essentially your hourly rate, you know, and I didn't account for benefits or anything else, right? So they they actually would have been getting a deal out of that. None of them ever took me up on it. One of them actually burned that bridge when I quit. But I've seen people do that for their companies, you know. I've seen them do it for free, you know, where they trained the replacement and then left. So anyway, just a ton of things going on there. And and just, you know, just be aware that you've got to treat these developers like people and just do right by them and things like that. And if you're not going to do that, then they're going to leave. And then you're back in the same boat where it's, how do I find a senior developer? And then, and then you'll remember this podcast and realize you're asking the wrong dang question and you'll go back and you'll go, okay, okay. How do I find somebody that fits what we need? And then what do we need? And so overall, just to kind of recap this whole thing, what I'm recommending to you is If you have need for a new person, whether it's to replace somebody who left or you have enough budget and work for another person, I encourage you to A, sit down and figure out what you need from them. You know, what outcome do I need from this person? And then you can break that down into, and and I, I like to put it in a job role, right? So it's senior dev one. And what does senior dev one have to do? Well, they have to maintain the CI machine, blah, 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 right? But then you can make that list. You know, these are all the things that this job role has. These are the skills that I need them to have. And then you can put that into a a job listing somewhere or talk to your other developers or talk to people in the wider community around you and say, hey, we're looking for somebody who can do these things. They probably need to be able to, you know, they they need to have these kinds of skills. Our company culture is kind of like this. So we're looking for somebody that will fit nicely and and get the word out. And then when you have people start coming in, then you can start screening them based on that criteria. So can you do these things? Or, you know, can you figure out how to do these things, right? Because maybe it's just that somebody can figure it out, but we don't have time. You know, but you figure that, that out, you find the most qualified person that you can afford, and then you hire them, make sure that the onboarding is completely seamless, have them help you. If you don't have an onboarding process, just say, look, we're really trying to make this as easy as possible. And we'd like you to help us with our onboarding process. They're adding value day freaking one. But, you know, so you get your onboarding process together. Even if you just write something up, this is what we think it's going to look like. And then you go through it with them and you go, oh, we forgot this and that and this and that. But you figure it out and you just let them know, you know, we're, 
we're making this process easy so the person after you can just come on board. And then make sure that you're giving them raises as needed. Make sure that you're providing them with the opportunities they're looking for so that they want to stay so that they can continue to do the things that really matter to them. And that's what I see at a lot of the companies that manage to hold on to people for years and years and years. One of the guys on Ruby Rogues has been at the same company for 10 years. I know a number of other people have been at the same company for five years. And it feels unheard of in the software industry these days for somebody to stick around more than a year or two. And the reason that they're still there is because those places are doing these things that make them want to stay. So, I mean, that, that's it. If you want to find quality developers and you want to hold on to them, that's what you got to do. And make sure you're communicating with them so you know what it is that they want, know what it's going to take to keep them there and make them happy. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much the, the whole bag right there. And then, you know, you can thank me later, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is something that I see a lot. And if you want to find people and want to keep them, I mean, that's what you got to do. And don't be afraid to hire those junior developers. Just make sure that you're doing enough work to know that, you know, they're, they're the kind of quality you want. And yeah, that's it. I guess I'll go ahead and uh, wrap up and head to picks. I, I guess I don't have to ask anybody, is there anything else we should cover before we go to picks? This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take-home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs. And this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash view. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. So um, I'm going to go ahead and throw out some picks. Last week, I was traveling. I went to CodeBeam, which is a conference in San Francisco. It's for Elixir and Erlang. If you're not familiar with those and you like functional programming, they're worth looking at. Really cool ecosystem and a really great community. I just had a terrific time. So I'm going to pick CodeBeam. They do those every few months all over the world. So they have like a CodeBeam light in Bologna, Italy. Bologna is spelled like baloney in English. And if you can't spell baloney in English, then I am sorry. But they also do one in like London, I think. And I think they have one or two other ones in other parts of the world. So definitely go check out uh, CodeBeam. But that was fun. Met a lot of great people there. San Francisco was a ton of fun too. The conference was on Fisherman's Wharf. And like I, I'd go for a run. <laughs> I'd just run down the bay, you know, run down Fisherman's Wharf. There's a little, I, I guess, a pier I, I'm not sure what the technical term is for it, but there was like a little uh, alcove that had these piers that kind of jutted out like they were hugging that little inlet. So it had kind of a narrow opening. So I just ran out onto one end of that and ran back to my hotel. And it was awesome. I I just really, really enjoyed it. Even on the Saturday that I ran where it was freezing cold outside and raining on me. It was just, it was terrific. I also marched up to Coit Tower. So I guess I'll put a pick in for Coit Tower. I didn't take my wallet with me though, so I wasn't able to go up to the top and look around the city. And 
the next day it was it was the day that it rained and there was no visibility so it wasn't worth doing but yeah the first morning when i went out and ran ran out to the end of that pier it had a really good view of alcatraz could see the golden gate bridge off on off in the distance i mean it was super i actually tweeted pictures of it so um, i'm gonna pick that and yeah i'm just gonna take a few minutes and pick a bunch of stuff because i'm the only one here so my wife and i on monday so i travel 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 right come back saturday night on monday uh, my wife and i had our 14th wedding anniversary and so we we went out to dinner there's a, a restaurant here called tucano's it's one of those Brazilian kind of like Fogo de Chao or uh, there's another one here called Rodizio Grill, but it's, it's the kind where they bring the meat around and you just keep taking meat until you're done. And then you flip the little thing over to red and, you know, let, let them know I'm, I'm done getting meat. We love that place. It was, it was awesome. And then we, of course, we went out to a romantic movie and saw Alita Battle Angel. And that was an awesome movie. I really hope they make another one because it was, it was awesome. And they kind of left it open for another movie or two or three. Apparently it's based on a graphic novel and I've been able to figure out where to get the graphic novel. I want a digital version. I want it on my iPad, but maybe I'll see if I can just get a paper version if, if that's kind of the deal. So I'm going to pick that as well. And then uh, lately I've also been watching season three of The Expanse and I'm, I'm really digging that. I need to go on Hulu and see if they've got season four because typically what happens to me is they'll release a season of a show and then I will find, oh, they have season, you know, whatever. And they have seasons one through three on Amazon Prime video. That's where I've been watching it. And then I'll go on Hulu and Hulu has like the latest four episodes, which doesn't include the couple of episodes that I, you know, in between. And so I just find out about it too late. So I need to go on Hulu and see if, you know, season four is coming out. But anyway, really, really enjoying that as well. And then one last pick. So yeah, I've got like six or seven picks. I never do this. So I've been listening to a podcast called the MFCEO project. And it's done by a guy named Andy Frazella. He's a, he's an entrepreneur in St. Louis. He owns like a, a supplement store for you know, people who work out and you know, want to be healthy and things like that. Anyway, um, he's kind of bombastic. He swears a lot, but sometimes I need the kick in the butt that he gives in the, you know, like if you're serious, right, then you're going to get this stuff done. But he did an episode and I'm trying to remember, it was like in the 130s, I think. Because I, I went back and I listened to the whole backlog because I, I listened to a couple of the more recent shows and I'm like, this is awesome. So I went back and listened to them and they are all terrific. I've been listening to that in the Gary V audio experience or uh, Ask Gary V show. Anyway, the episode came out in December of 2016. And so he was talking about his power list. And essentially what it is, is he, he lists the five things he's got to do during the day. And then if you get all five things done, you win the day. I mean, that, that's really it. And uh, he sells a power list journal. And so I, I bought one. It was like 20 bucks. And, and the last, like last week, I did a bunch of days and I just wrote it in another notebook. And I'll probably transition back to that notebook when I'm done with this one. But yeah, it's just awesome. I mean, just the idea of, okay, I've got five things to do. And so I'm going to do them. And usually you have one or two that are things that you're trying to build as habits is, is what he recommends. So, you know, for me, it's running right now. And sticking to the keto, right? Because I don't want to die of diabetes. I watched my dad do that, and that was just not cool, you know, or die of dumb complications of diabetes. And it's a stupid way to go. But, you know, in his situation, I don't think he completely understood. I, I think he understood the mechanics of it, but I don't think he understood exactly how it was going to affect him. And I just figured that the way it affected him is the way it's going to affect me. 
if I don't control it. And so, you know, the running and the eating are big deals, you know, as far as that goes. Two of my goals are to run or walk every day, except Sunday. I take Sundays off. And then to make sure that I eat less than 50 grams of carbs a day. And I'm eventually hoping to get down to 20, under 20, and just, you know, do the keto thing full on. But yeah, so making that a habit. He says, if you win 21 days in a row on any goal, then it's a habit and then you can drop it and you can pick up another habit. And so anyway, um, really, really digging that. So I bought the Powerless Journal and you can get that at the mfceoproject.com. And I think you just go to the store. They have shirts and stuff too. And I think he started a kind of a movement. I'm two years behind on the, on the podcast at this point, but I think he started another one that's like 100 to zero. And I'm not sure exactly what that means yet, but I figure I'll probably wind up getting to that uh, eventually. But yeah, I'm, I'm really digging it. And I, I love kind of the mental kick in the butt. So I'm going to pick that. And then, yeah, I guess the last thing is I'm flying out tonight to go to Orlando for PodFest. And so I'm going to, I guess, pick it before I go. But yeah, it sounds terrific. I've had a bunch of people tell me it's a great conference. That is probably the best podcasting conference out there. So um, I'm going to pick that. I keep thinking I want to put on a podcasting conference, but I'm not there yet. So we'll see how that all goes. But anyway, uh, those are my picks. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. And uh, I guess since I was guest and panel, I'll tell you where to find me online. So you can find me uh, on devchat.tv. I'm on like a lot of the shows, not all of the shows, but a lot of the shows. We're also producing a bunch of shows. We're going to be starting a bunch of shows this year. So check us out there. At DevChat TV on Twitter is for the network and at CMAXW or CMAXW. That's me on Twitter. And I do try and reply. So if you at mention me or send me a, a DM, I really do try and reply to those. I'm not always great at that, but I try and check it like I check my email every day. So you can definitely check that out. You can also just email me, Chuck at DevChat.TV. And then I think I'm probably going to open up um, if you're interested in this, just tweet at me. But I'm probably going to open up doing 15-minute calls with podcast listeners again. So if you're interested in that, just yeah, just send me a message and let me know. But yeah, you can also just email me, Chuck, at devchat.tv. And we're working on a lot of stuff to make the shows better, get those results for you and things like that. So if you have anything to share, let me know. I'm probably also going to start blogging on devchat.tv. So keep an eye out for that. I think what I'm probably going to do is just focus on a different topic every month. So, you know, I might do careers or something since that's kind of where I'm at this month. And then, you know, next month I'll do it on like learning view or learning, you know, or rails or something like that. But yeah, lots of great stuff going on. So definitely check all that out. If you're looking for more shows to listen to, definitely come see what we're doing because we have shows that cross over with this. JavaScript Jabber is probably the biggest one. But if you use any of the other frameworks, main JavaScript frameworks, we have that out there too. So anyway, I'll quit rambling and uh, wrap this up and we will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.